Well, get back to Shellyville. I've been off for a couple months. We had missed a couple episodes. So we're going to get those back on track. And I just am so excited. I have Justin in my office with me today. Hello, Justin. You want to introduce yourself? Hello, Shelly. Thank you for having me. I am Justin, one of the producers of this show, and going to be in a little bit of a co-host role today as we kind of get back into things. It's been a minute, so trying to get back into the swing and what we want to talk about. And we had kind of talked earlier before the show started about our goals for Shellyville this year, and we really want to get into some tougher topics this year. We're going to kind of dig deeper a little bit, and um, let's talk about the stuff that nobody really likes to talk about. Let's do it. (laughs) So today we're going to throw ourselves right into (laughs) my favorite the personality disorders. And there are a lot. There's actually quite a few personality disorders, but the one that gets the most negative rap, I have to say, would probably be borderline personality. So a couple years ago, I think it became really popular. Everyone wanted to be known that, oh, yeah, I have BBT. Like, this is this is it, you know. This is who I am, and um, you have to deal with it. You have to work around my illnesses or my my way of functioning. And so personality disorders are very different than just a regular mental illness because it's more than mood driven. And I think it's really important to talk about that. Our personalities are defined at such an early age. Like at what age do you think you really kind of figured out who you were? I haven't yet. So. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. Um, I think it took a long time for me to be comfortable in my own skin, but I feel like I had a pretty good idea. I don't know, maybe after, after high school. Okay. So were you struggling with understanding who you were and your identity early in high school? Yeah, a hundred percent. I tell this story all the time was that I used, I, I grew up homeschooled and there was a, a, my personality was a bit timid, a bit shy. Um, not necessarily around like friend groups, but just in, in general, outside of my little small clique of friends, like I was pretty shy until I met a kid named Mario, who was, uh, he was a, a suburb kid from Macomb County who had a, a lake cabin up by where I lived and we became friends and he was loud, obnoxious, funny, would talk to anybody and he was just like, he was fun to be around. And he brought out you. He brought out the best in you. Well, I... Or were you scared of him? No, I enjoyed being around him. And then I remember very vividly that fall, I was in eighth grade and I and I got selected to be on a, uh, a select travel ball soccer team. And I knew nobody on the team. I was walking completely blind into this. And the first like practice or two, I was kind of shy. And then I was like, these guys don't know me. They don't know anything about me. I could just be like Mario and Mario's funny and Mario's cool and Mario says all this ridiculous stuff and he's loud and obnoxious. I'm just going to do that. I'm going to try it out. I'm going to be with these guys for a couple months. I'll never see him again. And and I started saying funny things and I started being loud and pretending like I had confidence. And uh, I kind of learned to like that almost like an alter ego type personality. And it was all pretend. I mean, you were kind of like, I want to be that. That's who I think I could be. And you got comfortable with it eventually? I think I felt, I think I found a happy medium because I don't think even to this day, I'm not the the loud, obnoxious party goer. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not the person that can walk into a room of strangers and nobody's a stranger. I'm not there, 
but I can be if the situation calls for it. If so you're surrounded by your friends. Well, and that's just it. I think, I mean, being social and having that ex- extroverted personality, I think that's a little bit different. Like this guy was over the top. Mario mm-hmm. sounds like a lot of fun. He was a lot of fun. Sounds like a lot of fun. And yeah. I had a friend like that in high school that I was the shy one and she was the most like everybody knew her. She was super, super popular, and and she just had that personality. So I think she kind of drew my personality out. Like I was funner when I was with her, if that's the word. I, I had more fun when I was with her because her personality was so bright. But I think I think environment can play a big part in how we act in our personality. One of the things that's funny about personality disorders is that that doesn't change. Like you're pretty consistent. Like for me, I can go into the room and, and feel the room and it, sometimes I'm more social than others. And I think what you're describing is kind of like steady. Like that's mm-hmm. your personality. You know what you can do, but you can change it based on the environment you're in. Sure. Someone with a strong personality disorder cannot necessarily change who they are. So it's kind of hard to like fester out. Like, is this going to be a permanent problem or is this just something that's just happening right here, right now, because the situation is making you uncomfortable? So, I I mean, that's kind of the difference. But also the identity is like who I would describe myself. If someone said, who are you? I would throw my personality into that description. I'd be like, well, I'm outgoing. I'm funny. I'm a sweet person. I'm kind. I'm silly. But I'm not really all of those things all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, I don't know, does our identity change? Does Does it fluctuate? It does a little bit, I think. It's an interesting paradox because you because I feel like the more healthy you are, the more you're able to change based on the requirements of the situation. You can read a room. Yes. And I think that where people can start falling into these, and this is, again, this is uneducated. (laughs) This is an opinion. This is Gospel of Justin, Chapter 1. And Chapter (laughs) 2. Yeah. So uneducated opinion, but it seems to me like the people that are healthiest with their personalities can read a room to an extent, some are better than others, mm-hmm. and can be and, and can exhibit exhibit appropriate behaviors when the situation calls for it, whether it's being, you know, you know, being social at a party or being um, respectful and somber at a funeral or something mm-hmm. like that. I feel like somebody who doesn't have a good grip on those things might not be just they they, they are who they are and they're and they they have trouble reading those types of things. Right. And I think that's really, nope, I think think you nailed it. I actually feel that that is the identity disturbance. Like that person is struggling with their identity in whatever situation they're in, where people who have a solid sense of self can walk into different varieties of settings and be comfortable in those settings. So there is a lot of... um, who we are, our personality is kind of defined by how we think and feel, what we say to ourselves, how we carry our conversations. But what makes the disorders kind of interesting to follow is that they they all have a social component. All of the disorders have some kind of disturbance in relationships. So I like to... I. <laughs> Borderline personality, when you first become a therapist, is like, oh, my God, you don't want one of those. Like, that is like the the first thing that they tell us is that is the hardest client to deal with. Mm-hmm. And and I think there's some truth to that because these are clients that are the highest risk. They are usually my clients that are most suicidal 
and truly have a, a sense of self-harm. Like they, they're not afraid to self-mutilate. Like that's cool with them. Like it's all right. So yeah, if I was afraid of that, if I didn't want to deal with the hard stuff, I can understand why you would tell me not to talk to a borderline. But there's other reasons why I've had avoidant or I've had borderline clients that are hard because they really do struggle with interpersonal communication. They struggle with knowing themselves so that when you criticize them or tell them something to change, they're so fear-based in how that sounds that they instantly have a reaction that's like a negative reaction back, like you're a bitch or like they'll come after me or I'm going to take your license away or I'm going to you know, tell everyone that you're the worst therapist ever. And I'm like, because I told you something you didn't like? I'm like, so I really do struggle sometimes with that personality because they can be very hard to work with. So what are some, so from a diagnostic standpoint, you're meeting with a new client that, um, because unless it's like court mandated, which I don't know if you get any clients that are court mandated Thankfully, to meet with no, a, okay. I do not. So if somebody's walking into your office, they have some level of recogni- recognition that there's some sort of problem. Mm-hmm. So what Most are some in your diagnostic process? And I don't, I don't know if you can technically diagnose. In oh, your, I have to. You have to. Okay. I have to. I have to diagnose in order to get paid by the insurance companies. My, I see. Okay. My private pay, I don't have to. It does help sometimes with like figuring out where I'm going to go with the therapy and the treatment. Mm -hmm. But as a a licensed professional counselor in the state of Michigan, I must diagnose. And this is the weirdest thing is that they expect us to have a full diagnosis by, you know, a 90 minute session. It's like, hello, sometimes it takes a lot. So there's a a definitely series of questions we have to ask the intake department can usually get a good feel for some of those questions. But we, I have to assess for depression. I have to assess for family life. I've got to, like, all these questions. And mm-hmm. so pulling out someone's personality is probably one of the harder ones to diagnose. So what are some, in your diagnostic process, what are some things that might um, show up on your radar as thinking that maybe this person is BBT? BBT. Okay. B- P D. I know it's (laughs) (laughs) usually I can tell if they've had a lot of um, turbulent relationships if they're not getting along everybody hates them they're kind of like they're already coming in with like the world is out to get me so they're already coming in with like this really like I've had a lot of trauma I've had these really bad experiences and everybody's out to get me so that's kind of like okay well are they so that's like a little click in my head like I'm okay then I'm looking for their kind of overall general behavior and if they tend to be more suicidal if this is someone that has had a lot of suicidal thoughts been previously hospitalized for for either wanting to hurt themselves or even attempting to hurt themselves I definitely look at that disorder and then I also know if they've done any self-harm Because here's the thing, depressed people can feel suicidal, but they're not always active and they don't act on it. And most people that are depressed do not want to self-mutilate. So those are huge for me. And that's usually once they say yes to those two things, then I can kind of go, well, how long have you felt that way? When did you discover, you know, cutting or hurting yourself? And then we can kind of go into the real history of the personality and when it developed. But um, a lot of research has been done that most people that are borderline has had some form of very traumatic childhood trauma. And so 
I'm, I don't work with a lot of trauma-based clients. I do have a handful. There's, I mean, it's hard to avoid in the United States. Everybody's got a little bit of trauma. But these are severe trauma cases. Mm-hmm. And so this personality was uh, developed to avoid pain, right? So if, if someone's hurt me and I'm very young, I'm going to develop a self-esteem or self-protective coat that says I'm never going to let any, I'm never going to trust again. Mm-hmm. So it's a very untrusting mindset, which is really, if you can kind of understand why they motive, what the motivation is behind their thinking, it makes them some of the best clients I have because I have so much empathy for them. I'm not here to hurt you. Mm-hmm. My intention as a therapist is never to hurt anybody. So I really want to get to the bottom of, well, where did this develop your self-esteem? Where did this kind of start? <laughs> and that's kind of where I go. So but again, I mean, I got to do that in 90 minutes. It's it's pretty hard to do. Is it, are there some things that, because mental health for for better or for worse is is a trendy topic these days. I know, thankfully it yeah. is. Thank so you. with that, <laughs> so with it being at the forefront of a lot of people's minds, um, there are a lot of, um, we'll call it gym class Jerry's that are out diagnosing people online oh, and this, that, and the other. So is it possible for somebody to present with some symptoms of BPD and have something completely different? And, absolutely. Because yeah. I, I can see, sure. for just for an example, um, some commonality, commonalities between bipolar and BPD. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the commonalities that you could see between those two? What are some differences? And then maybe like how would you differentiate? Well, usually onset. And I'm also going to look at a timeline. I want your family history. I want to look at the whole picture. Because genetically, you're going to come to me and you're going to say someone in my family's either had severe depression there's been a suicide somewhere along in my family. Um, my uncle was bipolar. Like the history of bipolar is somewhere in the family. The history of borderline personality is not usually a part of a genetic disorder. Okay, so there's a big difference right there because you start looking at family, you start looking at the family tree, and that can really help me kind of hone which direction I'm going in. But I mean. So many things can crisscross. I mean, depression itself, anxiety itself. Um, God, that's really a tough question because mm-hmm. it's like that's not there's a lot an of easy. Overlap. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap. And who's to say that you can't have both? Mm-hmm. Because here's the difference: your personality is very different than a mental illness. Like if I have bipolar, I'm not necessarily going to have borderline personality, but I could. Mm-hmm. But I could have. I could also have three of the other. I could have, I could be narcissistic or I could be avoidant or I could be dependent. Like you can have a thousand different personalities, their mood, mental and behavior. So I'm trying to pull out, is it your mood that's directing you? Is it your thoughts that are directing you? It is your actions that are directing you. And once I figure out where's the motivation, that's when I can start to hone in on where am I going to fix this problem? So you're saying that the mood, um, the the mood, the uh, sorry about that, uh, the mood, the uh, the actions and the thoughts, those are kind of like subcategories mm-hmm. beneath BPD that you kind of want to delve into for and every see. client. Okay. That's true with every client. That's true with every client I have because it is our thoughts that kind of get us in trouble. Um, but one of the things that 
I was looking at earlier when I looked under borderline, so I could talk about it a little bit, is that these are people that cannot regulate your, their emotions. So emotions play a huge part in understanding personality. So for all my clients who come in and struggle with their emotions or they can't regulate their anger or they're frustrated all the time, or like that can also be a sign of depression, but I got to figure out, is that part of your personality? Are you angry five days a week or just one day a week? Or So we're looking at all the varieties of how emotions play into that, but it's, it's really like there's a lot of pulling apart. Mm-hmm. You got to get to a lot of good questions. But what's funny, and like you said, is this, this modern day, you can go on, you can go on WebMD, you can Google your symptoms. You can be like, I cry too much and shit, what's going to come up? Borderline personality. I'm pissed today. Like, okay, what's coming up? You have avoidant or your um, conduct disorder. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many things that we can put into the computer and say, here's my symptoms. And then we're going to get like 15 different diagnoses. Right. So you so how does diagnosis is real big. Yeah. So like, how do you differentiate between like, I woke up this morning and the dog pissed on the carpet and I'm mad and mm-hmm. that's like a that's a fairly like normal human reaction, right? Absolutely. Like, yep. I'm irritated. Yes. Something mm-hmm. happens, provokes an emotional response. How do you determine whether or not it's normal or it could fall under the cat? Is it is it the re- the repetitiveness of it, the in- inability to? It's the inability to walk away from that thought. Okay. So let's say I'm pissed at nine o'clock in the morning. But at 10.30 in the evening, I am still as hot and I'm still as upset as if that just happened right then. It's like you don't get any distance from the event. Your emotions stay hot. They stay strong. They stay really vibrant. So you're not getting any distance from the actual event that made you mad. So it's kind of like when we tell a little kid to walk away or take a time out, we're trying to get the body to regulate. We're trying to get those emotions to calm back down and to calm the body. What happens with some of these personality disorders is that three or four hours later, they're in the same intensity level of when it happened. Mm -hmm. And that is when I know I'm dealing with someone who truly has a disorder that needs work on. One thing that I've, and this is a side note, but... Um, you you mentioned it, and I thought I'd bring it up because it 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 it's a it's a really it's an interesting thing that I've noticed. So, a lot of times we, I have a two year old, almost mm-hmm. three, terrible twos, full, <laughs> wide open, just like <laughs> the best time of yes, your life. Yes, it's fun. It can be <laughs> it can be a lot at times. And the one thing with my baby is that she can get like if she gets worked up about something Mm -hmm. or she's frustrated or upset or throwing stuff or being you know acting crazy you can't you can't you can't address it at that level even if like she's at the dinner table she's eating a bowl of cereal and she flips the bowl the milk goes everywhere because she's angry like you can't react on that level there's there's an instance where she didn't want to come to the dinner table and eat. It was dinner time. And then I picked her up to put her in her car seat. And, like, my family's over, and it's, like, mm-hmm. a lot of people there. And she's just, like, having a meltdown. It's and then I, I rem- overstimulated. So I removed her from the situation. Mm-hmm. I sat on the stairs with her, and I talked to her very quietly. So she it was forced to, forced to stop screaming and come back down to reality and listen. Mm-hmm. And three minutes later, I walked back into the kitchen with her, put her in her chair, and she was perfectly fine. 
Ah, Dad, that's the so, best story ever. It's a good, uh, good tip that I learned on accident. So. Well, I'm telling you right now, imagine that a thousand times over for all the kids that had a mental mo- moment. I call those mental moments, tantrums, whatever they are that didn't have a parent that was there to self-soothe them, mm-hmm. that they were not redirected, that they did not get that attention. They did not get that moment to calm down. This is why we are dealing with adults that do not know how to regulate their emotions. Because when she is in that state of having a temper tantrum and meltdown, meet her where she's at. the brain is probably re- re- releasing a lot of not-so-great things into mm-hmm. her body cortisol maybe yep, is cortisol, yeah. uh, and just adrenaline yes. and adrenaline yes. and energy and just this amount of fear like mm-hmm. your kid in that state of thinking can't think yeah. it's not i mean it's all emotion that's pure emotion mm-hmm. so and, if you're unable to redirect it that the brain could develop patterns of responding to things in that way and, absolutely yes and so that's another reason why we might asked about the family history. Because let me tell you right now, if you've got a kid with a bipolar parent or an alcoholic parent, you're probably going to have some avoidance. You're going to have a client that didn't get that redirection or always lived in a house where I'm walking on eggshells. That's like everybody loves to say that statement, I'm walking on eggshells. Or I never knew what to expect or I didn't know how the response was going to be. Well, man, that is like that sets you up. Like your defense mechanisms are like, okay, I'm wired now. I'm expecting something bad to happen to Mm me. And I mean, it just breaks your heart. As a therapist, it breaks my heart. Mm -hmm. I hate to hear these stories because you can't go back and fix a child. I can only fix an adult. And so it's so hard because there's three things going on here. We have to acknowledge that that happened in the past. We have to be okay and accept that it happened in the past and now we have to acknowledge that right here right now i can't still act the same way mm-hmm. i'm a 20 year old having a temper tantrum i need to change my behavior and so that's when i mean there's so much work that has to go into changing the behavior but you can't do anything if you are not aware of it mm-hmm. so the awareness is huge Absolutely. just recognizing that oh my gosh maybe i'm <laughs> maybe i'm overreacting Uh, Yeah, maybe a little bit, but a defense mechanism is real. Like Mm -hmm. we were designed to um, protect ourselves. The defense mechanisms were designed so that we didn't feel pain. Mm -hmm. And I think your example is perfect about always the brain is going to rewire that way. Like you're always going to expect something like that. And I think there's a really great book that I recommend to a lot of my clients called The Body Keeps the Score. And it talks a lot about how the brain um, wires itself after trauma. So again, that's a you know something that's very important that people understand that your brain is wired that way. But there are some things you can do to fix it. Absolutely. Uh, another question about BPD: um, a lot of the um, the symptoms, like inability to control emotions, impulse stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, you could also make an argument, I think, that there there could be also a spectrum disorder involved oh, sure. as well. Do BPD and do you see 
are are they mutually exclusive and just kind of have over mutually exclusive? And they here's have a, the thing: there's a lot of co-occurring. Mm-hmm. You can have co-occurring. That's what I'm saying. You can have co. Those you would not diagnose those two at the same time. Those gotcha. would still need to be diagnosed separately. Mm-hmm. So if some, let's say you have somebody on the spectrum who is presenting with some of those symptoms, would you write it up as he's on the spectrum? Or? I would write. Yeah, I would okay. write. I would do that. I would. I would definitely do a thought disorder and a mood disorder before a personality disorder. Okay. Without a doubt. So what, and me just being a, you know, a chimp over here as far as knowledge <laughs> of the stuff, what, what does well, autism fall into that mood disorder? Cat? What, no. What, what do you classify uh, that as? I don't even it's, know. It's its very own category. Okay. And we would, uh, um, my educated guess would be that the spectrum is a thought disorder. Okay. So anybody on the spectrum, we're talking Asperger's, autism, um, retardation, all of that is like developed in childhood. And so it's a, an early development problem. And that would probably be a cognitive, I w- that would be a cognitive therapy. Okay. Like that's, that's kind of what I'm saying. Okay. That's good so that's know. totally different. Yes. Totally different. But they can have some over, some oh, overlapping symptoms. Every single one of these Everything in the DSM is co-combining. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's, and that's probably one of the biggest problems I have as a therapist trying to diagnose it because it could be a thousand different things. It that's why there's more than one or two diagnoses for us. For each, you have like for di- for even the criteria for borderline, you have to meet nine of the eight. You know, like you have to meet all of the Mm -hmm. expectations just because we have all these written down or you have a few, you're not going to get that diagnosis. But if you represent in every single category, then I'm going to give you that diagnosis. Mm. So they give us categories and they give us boundaries to kind of like help us pin it down a little bit. And that's kind of where the questionnaires come in. It's like, okay, well, you have some board and I'll write that they'll have some borderline tendencies but I will rule out borderline disorder because they're not showing every single symptom. Gotcha. So let's say you have somebody who walks into your office, you go through the whole diagnostic process. At the end of the results, yes, you do have BPD. What is the, what does the treatment look like? And what what are like? Is it a um, what are the sick? I don't know if that's appropriate to talk about. Like the the amount of success that comes from those is it something that you can be cured of is it just you learn how to manage it or management and here's the thing it's the same thing with bipolar disorder it is not curable these are not curable mental illnesses they are treatable big difference when you are when like my son will have bipolar the rest of his life but it's treatable Mm -hmm. it's very treatable there are some fantastic therapies out there for borderline personalities and one of the biggest ones is dialectical behavior therapy and it's huge and it really has what i love so much about dbt is it is about learning to regulate your emotions learning how to handle your stress learning how to have your interpersonal communications and then really focusing very heavily on the practice of mindfulness and the practice of mindfulness is basically being comfortable with right here right now so remember this the dog peed on the carpet at nine Mm -hmm. i don't want to still be that upset at 10 o'clock at night Mm -hmm. so if i recognize it at nine o'clock that i am at this level of upset and i regulate my emotions and i and i try to distress myself and I calm myself down 
I can still be upset about it at 10 o'clock, but I'm not going to be at the same level of pain or anger that I was in the morning. So that's kind of like the DBT skills are really good at helping people get in control of those impulses. Like I love DBT. I love DBT informed. I love DBT programs. I love everything about dialectical behavior therapy because it is really a proven method that if someone actually goes into those programs and learns the skills, they can learn to re-regulate their brain and rewire the brain and learn some great life skills, learn some hacks, get some ideas on how to calm down, regulate the emotions, and kind of just deal with life in a very logical way. Like if you've ever looked at a DBT book, it's very logical. And I love that. It's very easy to read. That's awesome. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. Let's talk about it from a relational standpoint now. So um, because people with BPD have a really hard time navigating through just regular relationships, whether it's family members, spouses. Um, what would your advice to a uh, somebody who has BPD in a like in a let's let's just use a relationship for an example? But um, they're in a relationship with their their ma- a marriage relationship. We'll call it. Okay. Um, what advice would you give to them, uh, the person who has it, and then what advice would you give to their counterpart? Well, I would hope that they would be in some form of therapy. Together. Together. Okay. Or or not. But basically, I think together. I think it helps. But I mean, really, if you've gotten a partner, you've already learned how to communicate. But we got to kind of figure out, is it a healthy communication? Is right. it not a healthy communication? So it really, I mean, just because you're married to a borderline personality doesn't mean that you're going to have problems. It could mean that this could be the best relationship of your life. It, what the problem becomes is when one uses their uh, emotions. I guess we call it emotional blackmail. Um, when you would use your emotional response. Yes, there's all these beautiful names, you know, that we can give it. But it's basically when one person has a reaction to an event and the other person doesn't think their emotion was, like, justified or valid. So we're, we're having a conflict. We're having some kind of conflict. And when there's a conflict in that relationship, a borderline personality is going to think, oh, my God, my partner's going to leave me. And So there's an abandonment. There's, aban- there's such a fear of abandonment. Absolutely. So learning to trust is huge. It's such a big part of any relationship. But I think it's an even bigger piece in a borderline relationship. Um, so really for me as a therapist, I want to work with both. I want to work with both people in that situation. And it's sometimes you need to, I just gave the suggestion and I don't even think these people are borderline, but, um, one time I went to a couple's seminary or seminar and it was all about our emotions and our language and how we communicate carry so much emotion that sometimes when we ask for something we're afraid we're going to get rejected so they say recommend writing your question down in a notebook and like or or this makes me feel and you put it in a notebook and you let your partner read it they're reading the words that you've written but they're not reading into you the emotions Mm -hmm. so sometimes i'll use the notebook method which i just absolutely love and it works a lot of times for clients like you get a notebook and you both write down what you're thinking and feeling and you leave that out for the partner and the partner reads it, they respond it by a written form and you leave it. And sometimes that takes out all that emotional BS that just gets mm-hmm. swirled into a relationship. For sure. 
What would you give? What advice would you give to somebody who, let's say, you have a client, a single client of yours, and say, um, say "Hey, I just met this person, um, kind of want to date, but I'm concerned that this person has BPD. Here are a list of um, reasons why I think that. I'm I'm nervous about this. There's just some something that seems off. What um, you know, being in a marriage relationship is one thing. Like you're already like committed and mm-hmm. this, that, and the other, and so that drama isn't there. But then you take that and you put it in a like a brand new relationship that is, you know, you don't have that level of trust established. Um, you know, what are like would would you give that person? Adv- you know, how how would you approach that? Well, isn't that a beautiful question? <laughs> <laughs> and that is such. A big question, because really, when you think about it, I think everything everyone has to ask themselves: What am I willing to tolerate? What am I willing to put up in another person? What I put up with myself? And so, if I want to live a peaceful life, why would I incorporate someone else's chaos or stress? Like, if that person is going to cause me stress, they're not the right person for Mm -hmm. me. But if I like their chaos and I think it's entertaining and fun, and I'm kind of like turned on by that. I'm probably going to find that person entertaining and I'm probably going to want to go out with that person. I Mm -hmm. think it's that is such an individualized question because there's no (laughs) there's no right or wrong answer. It's literally what are you comfortable with living with? What can you tolerate? What are you willing to put up with? Do you want someone that you're constantly questioning if they can regulate their emotions? Are you looking for someone who's avoidant when you have a conflict? Are you looking for someone who doesn't want to communicate with you? Like, or are you the problem? I mean, a lot of times I have couples come in here and it's like, well, my wife has the problem. And 15 minutes later, I find out, yeah, because you're an asshole. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) like, there's, (laughs) there are always Mm -hmm. two people in a relationship. Always. And so, my biggest advice would be, what are you willing to tolerate? And what do you bring to the relationship? Awesome. I guess last question before we wrap it up. Okay. Um, are, unless you, you have, I, I started running the show because I just had so many questions about I know, I love it. This, I love when but... you run the show. Shelly go <laughs> with a little bit of Justin. <laughs> um, so is, is it, is, do you see it a lot where um, sometimes undiagnosed BPD um, it can it can be there can be an avoidance of the problems as in like like let's say for instance somebody will like the person with BPD will accuse the other person of doing the things that they're actually doing oh yeah so it's like because remember I'm afraid you're gonna leave me so I'm gonna throw you under the bus I'm gonna test you every 15 minutes Mm -hmm. I don't believe that you just did what you said you did I am gonna I'll make your life live in hell Mm. I'm going to because I don't believe that you're actually gonna be who you say you are Mm -hmm. and if I really can't trust you I've got to make sure that I'm like and here's the thing some of this is subconscious and some of this is determined and premeditated like that's the freaky thing about this disorder is that you can't tell me that you don't know you're being manipulative Mm -hmm. but sometimes they really don't know Mm -hmm. and so I think there's a couple different levels here that we have to work with but Um, if you are avoidant and you are afraid that someone is going to leave you, you're probably going to test that person to see if they will. Interesting. 
You're looking for it. You are looking for proof that this person is not who they say they are. You're trying to validate your own feelings. You're validating your own emotions, absolutely. And that's why I tell people it's so important to know what you think and to really be careful with your thoughts because our thoughts create our reality and our brain doesn't know the difference. And so if we keep telling ourselves that this is a bad person, this is a bad person, this is a bad person, we're going to find out that this is a bad person because we created an environment for that person to become bad. Wow. Strong stuff, the mind. That it is. That it is. And so that's why personality disorders are hard to treat and hard to work with as a therapist. But they're also one of the most entertaining and interesting because there's a lot there to work with. There's a lot to redirect. There's a lot to like kind of get behind and figure out. And I think that's why I love this job so much because I've had such a variety of clients and it's so different because every client comes in with a different story or a different complexity that I get to figure out and kind of help figure them, you know, find the way. But cool. And that's it. You got anything else? I don't. I just want people to know that you can regulate your emotions. You can definitely get help for any of your personality disorders. And that how you think and feel is not someone else's responsibility. So I, I really think, I mean, I wish I could get this message out to everybody that we are not responsible for how other people respond perceive us. And so if you know you have a good intention, and you're not trying to hurt anyone else, like that's the love I want you to put out. I really want life to be more loving, be kind. And I do believe that old thing, you know, you get back what you give. And I also believe that there's nothing wrong with being kind. There's nothing wrong with being nice to everybody. So that's what I want to leave with Shellyville. I really want to put out a lot more positive energy this year. I want people to know that no matter what your diagnosis is, you are responsible for it. And you can have a great, fantastic life being crazy because I'm a perfect example of it. <laughs> so thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. And I will talk to you next time. Bye.